out of the way. We're doing things a little bit different today uh, with our guest speaker, sort of. We're, we're going to do a uh, conversation interview yeah. style sort of thing. Yeah. And when I was explaining this to somebody the other day, they thought I was interviewing him for a job here. But that's, that's not the case. It's not no. that kind of an interview. It's a, so a different kind of an interview. It's the Today Show with Community Bible Church right yeah, here. Yeah, there we uh, go. Thank you for the music. Where are the music guy? Where do they go? Oh, it's beautiful. It's like, you know you're close to the city when you have that many talented people. That's great. Yeah, we're really grateful to have them both today. So um, we have been in recent weeks looking at Acts chapter 2 and um, inviting Acts chapter 2 and the amazing vision and example of the early church to, to give us fresh inspiration, fresh vision, as we seek to come out of COVID, as we seek to live out the reality of Easter, which was, what, four weeks ago now? Yeah. And so we've been looking at Acts 2 the last few weeks, and Gannon here, who's kind of an, a new friend with his wife, Carrie, who's with us as well, who I know a bit better, I'm just getting to know Gavin, happened to be in the area, and he happens to have written a book, which is kind of along the lines of this vision that we're learning about in Acts chapter 2, and so I was, I was able, they were able to be here this morning, and I thought it would be great to, to talk to him, to have a conversation about his book and about the vision of church that, that it entails. Sure. So Gannon is a pastor, <laughs> yeah. an author, a songwriter. It was great to hear him singing right, right behind me at the beginning of the service. Uh, he's a singer too, baritone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a founding member of Fresh Expressions U.S., and he and Carrie live in Fredericksburg, where they direct the Center for Faith and Leadership, which is a training and equipping hub for university students and young adults, young leaders. And also, they lead and direct the Center Community, which is an expression of church rooted in homes and families. But they are in the process of relocating to Dallas, Texas. Yeah to, I believe, yeah. an established church, yep. which is yep. going to be quite different for yep. them. We'll talk about it. And we'll talk about it. So um, tell us a bit more about yourself, uh, what Fresh Expressions is, sure. your work with it, your ministry in Fredericksburg, and your future plans. Yeah, thanks, Dick. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, we have been uh, the past couple of days with the Bruderhof community up uh, near Ulster Park, and we're with you all today, and then we're, we're going into the city um, uh, later this evening for a meeting that's been delayed since 2020, but a meeting that Alan and Deb Hirsch are convening with some Christian leaders uh, in the city, and so we're excited. So it's, it's been a, a, a wonderful journey. Um, and as Dick said, I've, I've been sort of a founding uh, a member of the, the U.S. Fresh Expressions team, and Fresh Expressions is a mission movement that uh, came out of the Church of England. Um, and so if the England can do fresh expressions of church, anybody can. Um, that's sort of our thought. And um, but they said it. They said it. I, I didn't make that up. That's what they said when they, they came over and started training us. But if you're familiar with the work of 3D movements, uh, which I know many of you are, 3DM 
and fresh expressions, uh, much of the thinking uh, came out of the same church. So St. Thomas Crooks in Sheffield in, in uh, England. So Bob and Mary Hopkins kind of helped start Anglican church planning movements through the Church of England. Mike Breen helped start 3DM. And there's lots of cross-pollination. Uh, fresh expression sees ourselves as, as sort of, if I may use the word, catalytic. Uh, so how do you take um, historic churches, inherited churches, and how do you do uh, what Paul uh, wrote to Timothy? He, he told Timothy, he said, guard the great inheritance, guard the great deposit. And so we have a great inheritance in the church as we've known it. Uh, but we have increasing numbers uh, of people who are not uh, reached by any church, who are doing all sorts of things right now. Uh, they're reading the paper, they're on bike rides, uh, they're having a day off, um, they're not here, but they still, um, I believe, can be touched with the love of God. So how do we do that? Um, how do we take the church closer uh, to the, the people, uh, where the people find themselves? And then I, I tend to use a lot of the 3DM tools once I get uh, groups, uh, new forms of church established, because the 3DM tools I find to be really, really simple and accessible. Uh, because you, can, you know the story, Mike uh, Breen is uh, dyslexic, right? And so, I don't know, who's drawn the, t- the triangle on a napkin and shared it with a friend? I, I, I do this all the time, so I draw all these little shapes on, on napkins and share them with friends, and I have uh, Mike uh, Breen to credit for that. So uh, that's uh, sort of the commonality. So Fresh Expressions, again, it's how do we take the church Jesus loves closer to where the people Jesus loves are. And in our ministry context in Fredericksburg, Virginia, we were sent to sort of rehabilitate a declining uh, ministry to a, a university community on a college campus. Uh, college campuses is historically have about 4% faith engagement, and that's faith engagement. <laughs> that's all faiths, 4%. So in our campus, that meant 240 students were somehow engaged in InterVarsity or uh, Young Life or the Hillel Center or whatever, the 4%, 240 students. And so we said, let's not do things the way that uh, all the other groups go in vying for the 240 students. Uh, how do we uh, open up the love of God to the uh, 3,800 <laughs> other students? And so uh, we began a prayer walking the neighborhood, and we met a lot of international students. And so we would do strange things like Easter egg dying with Muslim kids, and that was fun. And we uh, would do uh, after-school programs for at-risk high school kids because that engaged students from the College of Education um, who didn't know Christ, but they wanted to reach uh, at-risk kids. And so we introduced them to Christ that way. And and um, we uh, in, kind of started experimenting from that after-school program with an arts outreach. And so we do uh, community art projects uh, all year long, and we'll do something really simple like get people together to make art together. We read a verse of Scripture. And we say we believe uh, in, the, in the power of a creative God who's called all of us to create. Uh, amen. And people are like, that's it? And we're like, yeah, that's it. So let's get to creating art. And so we've made this beautiful uh, mosaic this year. Um, and along the way, um, we were introduced to um, some, some friends who were exploring the power of home uh, to transform the life of the church. If we believe that uh, the early church was rooted in homes, um, the oikos, the oikos, uh, the, the root for that Greek word is the same uh, root that we get for the words economy and ecology. And so we, you know, the, the, the building block of society is the home. And 
Um, a part of uh, Carrie and I, our story as a married couple is, is we were unable to have children of our own. And so we desperately needed family, but we needed family to look different than, than uh, you know, what, 2.5 kids and a white picket fence and a well-behaved dog. You got four kids, so you broke them all too, right? But, but right, so, so we need a family to look different. And so we, we had experience with families who were really good at opening their homes uh, to others. Then we had experiences with other families who would never open their homes to others because their homes were never clean enough. <laughs> I wanted to be with the families that wanted to just open their homes. And so did a lot of the university kids. So they weren't necessarily looking for church, but they were looking for a family. They were looking for community. And so we began experimenting with family-like community. That kind of sounded suspiciously like church, but we didn't call it that yet. And we began networking out a little uh, groups of people meeting together in homes to pray and break bread and and testify to the power of God. And, and then this thing called COVID-19 happened. And that was the only way we could gather. And our ministry would have died if we hadn't already started this sort of home-based uh, reality. And so our governor said that groups of 10 can meet. And so we had 10 people on our front porch, 10 people at a couple of other houses. And then those have grown um, now to where our campus ministry kind of helped establish uh, what we call the center community, which is now involving much more than, than university students. So that's a little bit about uh, us and, and how we've gotten going. And I, I wrote about it in a, in a little book that you'll, you'll read some 3DM language in there. You'll read uh, a little bit about our story. And uh, yes, amen. Um, and uh, so it's, it's just a light to be with you today. So, yeah. Paul, if we have trouble with one of the mics, let us know which one, and we'll uh, go to Plan B. Yeah. Wow. And and where are you headed? What's what's in right? The future? Oh goodness. Okay. So God um, is the God of surprise. Has anyone been surprised by God ever? Okay. So I was very surprised by God um, uh, back in the fall. Uh, a church. I'm from Texas originally. Yeah. Oh, oh, we have some of us here. Okay, well, and you didn't have plans to go back to Texas. My high school debate coach is here who lives uh, in Monroe, a little west of the city, and she found me on Facebook on Monday, and I said, you live in New York, west of the city? I'm going to be there next week. And she says, well, I said, well, I'm going to be at Community Bible Church. So she's here. So she might, who knows, we might have a, a, a new person here today, um, a member. But um, so Texas, uh, not a place I was thinking would kind of I would that be a thing in my life, but a church kind of kept calling, a church that's been kind of enculturated. They've been through 3DM training. Um, they know the language, and they're trying to figure out how to do a mission, and they go, they've got a great history of, of doing mission. They've got a, they planted a church for folks with mental illness uh, about 20 years ago. They got a little network of house churches. They have a thriving ministry to the homeless, um, and they've got a, a viable congregation that meets on Sunday morning, too. So they're doing all of these things, but all of these things don't necessarily talk to one another very well. And so they needed a pastor who could help all of these things make sense. Um, and so they kept calling me, and I kept saying, are you sure? And I kept saying, it's really hot in Dallas. Um, and I really like seasons, and I like hiking, and, and all those things you can't do in Dallas. Um, but uh, you can't say no to, to God when God says, I have need of you. You are done here. They will be fine. I cry a lot when I think about leaving our community. 
uh, but we'll still be connected with them. And they have sent us out. Actually, last Sunday, they really did commission us out to our new uh, place. So we feel like uh, everybody's good. We're being received by a new community. And so I'm going to go from a church we planted to a church that's 125 years old. And we're going to see um, if, if it sticks. Um, and if it doesn't, I'll come and hang out with you guys. Um, so, yeah. And you recently, uh, well, a book just came out yeah. that you've probably been writing for a little bit of, for a while. Um, what prompted you to write this book, and what were you trying to say or, or contribute? Yes, we um, had been trained um, through Fresh Expressions. We had this, this wonderful board chair of Fresh Expressions. Uh, Fresh Expressions of the United States was given wings by the Baptist General Association of Virginia, um, but because Fresh Expressions derives from the Church of England, uh, the, the Virginia Baptists made an Anglican to be the chairman of the board of Fresh Expressions, which gives you a lot of a sense of the heart of the Virginia Baptists. And uh, this uh, Anglican board chair um, started learning about home-based ministry from a group of Roman Catholics in Italy. You can't make this stuff up. And we were at a conference together with this guy, and on campus, we'd been running a joint Bible study between the, we were mostly Baptist kids and the Catholic kids. And we got everybody together for a joint Bible study. And we found out quickly that the Catholic kids knew their Bibles better than the Baptist kids, uh, which was great. But the way that this Bible study kind of uh, morphed sounded suspiciously like the way that this Anglican friend of ours was speaking about his work with Roman Catholics. And so we started learning uh, from Catholics. And we went over to Italy and discovered that there's a, a group of Catholic priests who've been deploying a married couples to see their homes as little churches. And we were fascinated by that. And they developed a little liturgy. And you didn't have to write any, anything down. You didn't have to have any paper that you printed out. It just became sort of intuitive uh, to the group because Jesus was leading the meeting, not the couple. And I'm always refreshed when I go into a group, a Christian group, where I know Jesus is in, in leadership and not us. That's just deeply encouraging to me. So we began learning from them. And uh, this pastor said, hey, let's, let's write something about it. Um, but my, f- my, my, my 10,000 words turned into 15,000 words and turned into 40,000 words. It's still a little book. Uh, but there just needed to be more uh, hands-on, more practical. And so the book kind of started on a napkin in 2016, 17, and it finally got finished in 2020 because what else was anyone doing in 2020 but writing books? Couldn't go anywhere. So that's a little bit about the book. And what did, what we, for most of us haven't read it. What were you most trying to say? Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of convey the idea that family-like community is the root of the church. It's the central organizing principle. We're, if we're looking for the program that's going to save the church, we already have it. It's homes. It's families. But it's families that are reoriented around Jesus as the leader not families that are oriented around this very recent invention called the nuclear American family that we kind of got around the 1950s. Uh, prior to that, it was farm families were huge. <laughs> Everybody was gathered in around a big family table, single, married, cousins, people down the road. We, some of us have memory of this sort of experience. The Bruderhof do it great. You know, we were with a family for the past couple of days, uh, but uh, it's single people, married people, kids, 
dogs, rabbits, everybody's around the table. And so um, that's sort of the idea of the book, is how does the family reorient itself around Jesus and open itself up to the lost and the lonely who are looking for community and they're looking for love even if they don't know that they're looking for God. And so that's the, the hope of the book and what we, we hope to convey and sort of train others to do. And what, what would you say is the relationship between church and family? I think uh, every family, this is, this is a, a crazy thought, um, I think every family is a little church. Every family is a little church. We, we'll, what do we, we just read in Acts, we, we eat together, and we pray together, and we meet every day together. Uh, okay, so that's the, the building block, right? Every family is a little church. Uh, but our families are not for ourselves, just like our lives are not for ourselves. They're a gift to others. So what if our life and the life of our home and our family is the greatest gift we have to share with the world? Even if it's just us, or even if it's just two. It, 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 even the smallest family can build the big family of God. It doesn't need to be a perfect family or a family that has it all together. Just any, anybody can do that if we're what? Eating together and praying together and being on mission together. So, yeah. And what, for, for churches that are, you use the word inherited or established, we've been around for a while yeah. and we, we've, you know, doing things in a certain way. What can we learn from families that might help us to be more the essence of what church is, Jesus meant it to be? That's a great question. I, you know, families, um, hopefully, and everybody had a different family experience, and no family's perfect, as I said earlier. But families, hopefully, are where we learn how to love. And if we didn't learn how to love in our own families, hopefully we found a family that, that taught us that a little bit or modeled that for us. And that's what I find people out in the world who aren't in a place like this on Sunday morning are looking for. They're looking for love. And so mostly people look for love in all the wrong places. Um, shout out to all the Texans in the room. Um, but we, we look for love in all the wrong places. But if we start looking for love and we, we, we find ourselves attached to a family who's love, uh, a married couple who is an icon of love, uh, kids in a home who uh, show us their you know, goldfish tank or whatever it is that the kid is showing us or would you play a card game with me and, and you, you learn how to, to love and play and relate and Sabbath uh, in the family-like community. That's what people are looking for. So I'd say for the inherited church that's accustomed to meeting this way, I all know that you enjoy meeting this way because it's where we can worship and listen attentively. But after this, I've already seen there's coffee and there's food. And that's probably what most of you really like to do because then you get to talk to your friends and you get to find out how people are really doing. And I think that's what most people out in the culture just want to learn how to be friends uh, together, uh, friends of Jesus together. And then we get to testify to the work of God in our everyday lives as we're eating food together with our new friends. And that's the purpose of this gathering here. It's really to testify about what God's doing in our everyday life. So you give in your book some different examples and stories about what this looks like in, sure. in real life. Um, could you share a couple stories with us? Oh, goodness. I'll read a, a couple little snippets from the book. I won't read long, but, but I mean... These are all stories from either our life or, or 
our friend's life, one of the chapters uh, is called A Table Bigger Than Your House, When to Be a Guest and Not a Host. Who's really good at hosting? Uh, Okay, who likes to be a guest? Oh, a lot of you like to be guests in this church. Okay, I find often when I get with a bunch of Christians is everybody knows how to host, but nobody knows how to be a guest. Nobody knows how to receive from others. And so when Jesus deploys uh, the 72 out to uh, all the villages to advance the kingdom, he tells them to go and sit in other people's houses and other people's tables. And that's revolutionary for most Christians because they think they have to set the table and make all of the food. But Jesus just says, go eat, go eat everybody else's food. Um, but in, in this, which maybe this too, maybe you've trained them well. They know how to go and sit at other people's tables. I need you to come to, to my group because they like me to cook for them, and I've tried to break them of that habit. Um, but these are our good friends, Dave and Maria. And, um, and, it, and it says this, When Dave and Maria were newlyweds, they started making a pot of soup and a loaf of bread on Thursday nights at their house, a little 1950s rental. Every week, they invited their friends and neighbors over to enjoy their soup and bread, and every week for about six months, Dave and Maria sat at their kitchen table eating their soup and bread alone. Right? And this is where we mess up, is they kept at it. They didn't give up. They kept at it. Every week, they remained faithful and prayerful. And on one Thursday night, a neighbor finally came. And the next week, the neighbor brought a coworker. And soon their table was full. And on one of those full table nights, a friend of a friend who was a young and boisterous restaurant manager, he's really a bartender, I put restaurant manager in there because of my publisher's Wesleyan, um, <laughs> showed up uh, with a bottle of wine. Oh, then I, then I, then I did peek up there. Dave and Maria didn't often drink wine, but on that night they did, and the boisterous young man soon became a part of their family. Now, by the time I met this boisterous young man, he was my landlord. It's amazing what happens in, the, in a person's life. This guy, Chris Six, was my landlord, and he was director of Mercy Ministries at the Alexandria Presbyterian Church. I met Dave and Maria 15 years later during their daughter's freshman year at college because they lived just down the street from the university and became known to us as the pancake parents. They were the parents who had pancakes for university students every Saturday, well, not every Saturday morning, but often they would. And so it's, it's the faithfulness of what's in, Moses was asked, well, what's in your hand? You know, he had a staff and he led the people with the staff, which is an unlikely way to lead people. And this couple had a dream and a vision of kitchen table full and a meal that was simple enough that they could make every week that they could afford to make every week, and they didn't give up meeting. They kept praying, and finally, uh, this sort of season of their life uh, revolutionized their marriage. And what, what happens in these, these moments around, say, a table that can revolutionize, revolutionize a marriage and, and family-like community as the neighbors come and experience, like people around a table, that's actually revolutionary. People sitting at a table eating together and having civil conversation, it's revolutionary. A lot of people have never experienced it before. And so by uh, doing something so simple, it helps their marriage be open to others. And it doesn't mean that every Thursday night for the rest of their lives, they're doing the same thing. Because it's morphed and changed over time. 
just like in our ministry, the after-school outreach became the arts outreach because that's how the Spirit was, was leading us. And so we've got lots of stories uh, in the book, but it's, it's that being faithful with little things, being faithful with what's in your hand, and, and asking the Lord to bless it. Yeah. So um, we've just gone through a couple years of COVID, yeah. and in New York, New York was pretty... Pretty aggressive about social distancing sure. and masks, yeah. et cetera. So for a while there, I don't remember what the official regs were, but we weren't even comfortable getting together in a home as a group of 10. But things are opening up, yep. right? Yep. What would be some advice for us as we're trying to, you know, get back on our feet, say, uh, in what ways do we need to get back to who we were and in what ways is there a new normal for us? What would be... And so, you know, after lots of time on Zoom and not seeing people face-to-face, and there's still people that we maybe haven't seen in weeks or months face-to-face, what would be some suggestions for us, some simple ways that we could begin to step back into being church? Well, I think we've got a great opportunity to... We've all been pruned a bit. We've been pruned in our personal lives. Uh, We've been pruned in our church life. And, And out of that great season of pruning, a healthier plant can grow. Uh, both at home and in the life of the church. Um, we, I, I don't know if you, we, we learned to cook again uh, for the first time in our home. Anybody learn how to cook again for the first time? All those cookbooks that you had gracing the shelf in your kitchen, we actually would play the cookbook game on Mondays, and we would open them up, and we would look at all the recipes that we'd never had time to cook, and we would write those recipes on a index card and put them in a bowl and we would draw them and that was the menu for the week it's maybe not the best advice to give the congregation but i found it to be a lot of fun and what if you invited people into some activity like that and uh meal preparation then in our house we share our house with uh right now two other uh, young women and um we cook together And that's a lot more fun, where I think pre-pandemic we would make food for people, and people would come over and eat it. And now there's much more of a collaborative uh, environment. So, so how do you do more things together than feel like we've got the church has to have it all figured out, and then we invite people to the thing? Um, uh, when people get to contribute, bring things, uh, share in the chopping, it alleviates them. It helps them feel like they're on your same level. And then you really can invite Jesus into that as the leader. And so I'd say as many things as you can do that are with others, that are inviting others to be shoulder to shoulder with you, even people who are far from God, uh, that's something the church really needs to be engaged with. And I think we still can be in smaller groups doing that because that's where most people still feel the most comfortable. Um, But that holds great opportunity. Because of what began happening in our house church is we, you know, we, we were 40 people in the backyard. And we did have space for that. It's all contextual. Um, and then, you know, we had to begin really praying and deploying and multiplying those people out. Because 40 people is way too many people to do, uh, to have kind of intimate conversation uh, with. We like to stay in groups of, of you know, 9 to 50. If we, ca- if we get 15 consistently, we need to start praying about multiplying another a house church out. Um, but, but embrace the pruning and embrace the sharing and embrace the imperfection and embrace the opportunity to, to create with others and to find out what others need 
uh, as opposed to thinking, oh, well, we, we, know what, we know what everyone needs. They need Jesus. Well, of course they do. Uh, but in what ways are we sharing Jesus with others by being shoulder to shoulder with them? So. Cool. So you've done a lot of work with young people, with mm-hmm. college students, yep. with young adults. Uh, what, have, what have you learned about what it takes to reach and build community with that age group? Uh, you, you can't be the expert because they're the expert, right? Um, well, Jesus is the expert. But really, um, our, 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 our house church gatherings are high participation. And so um, I don't preach. Um, it's really funny going in, back into an inherited congregation where I have to occupy the sacred desk. And um, I'm a 23-minute preacher, though, and they're in for a rude awakening because we're going to have a lot more mission testimonies on Sunday morning than they're prepared for. But um, pray for me. Um, but but in, our, in our house church gatherings, we share what are you thankful for every week. Um, they love that because it teaches people how to pray. When you cultivate an attitude of, of thankfulness, of gratitude, uh, people become more and more comfortable with the idea of prayer. Uh, then we share testimonies. Um, what has Jesus done for you or how has he loved others through you this week? Young people love uh, sharing testimonies every week because it's sort of a challenge to them to be looking for Jesus in their everyday life. And so you'll regularly hear stories on, on, at the house church gathering where they said, oh yeah, I, I uh, paid for the person behind me at the, in the drive-thru. Or uh, we took coffee over to such and such this week. Or we, they're looking for some way to give. And that's what I find young people really, really like that. Um, and then uh, when we do scripture, we, we use the Benedictine practice of Lectio Divina. So we read the scripture uh, for the week and we follow the lectionary text for the week. Um, and we pick one of those lectionary texts, and we read the scriptures quietly, uh, slowly, four different times. We hear from two, two men's voices, two women's voices, and we just ask everybody, if there's a word or a phrase that sticks out to you that pricks your heart, that may be God speaking to you, and you need to begin asking God as you hear the scripture read what that might mean for us in our community today. And so we share in that great feast on the word. Young people love it, because everybody's getting to contribute. Again, everybody gets to make the meal uh, in, in, the, in the church gathering. So that's become, been a really wonderful way of reaching young people. Again, it's just really cultivating high levels of participation. And notice what we're doing is we're doing discipleship and evangelism and witness all in the same gathering without having to add a discipleship gathering and a mission project, and well, everybody's just on mission project all week long, and you come back and talk about what you did on mission this week. And so it's, it's just really, in the pruning, it's made everything sort of simple and, and compact. And the challenge, of course, will be how you, how you do that within a, a larger congregation. Uh, yeah. So you talked early on about each family, which could be two people, it could be... Um, could be a household of single people. We have uh, in, our, in a collegiate community, because mostly they're young and single, uh, you know, but households kind of form together and, and host things and say, hey, we want to create a little, uh, little way of life for our house, and we want to agree not to go to bed angry. Mm-hmm. We want to agree to eat a meal, one meal a uh, week together. We want to agree not to label all of our separate food in the refrigerator. <laughs> So young people are legendary for doing that. And it's like, how many gallons of milk does one household need, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, sharing just becomes a way of life. And uh, so, yeah, it's a household. Two, how, you know, it can be, take on various forms. So 
what would be some simple baby steps that yeah. if, if a couple or an individual yep. or a nuclear family or I don't know, a few of us maybe live in extended families, to, to begin to see ourselves as an expression of Christ's body, yep. of the church, what would be some simple steps we could take to move in that direction? Yeah, and I, I, I bet I got this from Gina Mueller, who you, who you sponsored through 3DM, uh, but you know, developing predictable patterns for life which the pandemic required, or, or at least for me, I would have gone crazy if I didn't have a predictable pattern of getting up and going to work every day. Um, you know, we had to develop a predictable pattern. So, so um, in the book, I write about the liturgy of the home. So the liturgy is the work of the people of God. The liturgy is what we experience when we come in a gathering like this, and we know that we're going to sing, and we're going to pray, and we're going to hear the word proclaimed, and we're going to go and have bagels and coffee. It's, it's the liturgy of the church. Well, if we've got a liturgy of the church, and the home is the little church, what's the liturgy of the home? Well, we all have it. We just have to, again, Paul says, take every thought captive of Christ. And so we think about what is our, the liturgy of our home? Well, in my home, it's um, whoever, makes the be- whoever gets up uh, last makes the bed. That's a rule pre-pandemic, so we just spiritualized it. If our marriage is sacred, if our home is a little church, then the place that we sleep at night is probably the most sacred place in the home. And I spent a season uh, working in an Anglican church that was very high and lifted up, and you had to robe up every week, and you genuflected, and you did all the things, and they had a huge uh, uh, communion table up front. And they, they took great pains. They would educate the whole congregation on why all the things were on the table. And they draped the table. And I learned how to fold the altar linen just so Gloria Mullins wouldn't get mad at me. And so when I make my bed... And Gloria's gone on to glory. Uh, she taught me how to pray the rosary. I'm a Baptist kid who prays the rosary. I'm weird. Uh, and, but she taught me how to fold the altar linens. And so when, when I make the bed, we have a quilt at the end of the table that I fold just like Gloria taught me. And I think of that church experience. I pray for her. I pray for that church. And I pray for the most sacred part of my home. It's the, my, my early morning liturgy. And then I wash my face and I remember my baptism. And I walk downstairs and I make, you know, the incense is going already in our church because the coffee's on. And, you know, I feed the cat and I, and I light a candle and I, and I go to prayer. And I understand everybody has different kind of household rhythms, but I'm able to steal away early in the morning and pray. Um, and that's, that's the way that I started. And then I go for a run and then I start the work day. But it's like, so you, developing those predictable patterns of, okay, what if my home really is a little church? How am I worshiping with the way that I wash my hands? All the kids in America had to worship when they washed their hands during the pandemic, right? Did you do it? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You saw the YouTube videos even. that Kids praying the doxology. Kids praying the Lord's Prayer as they wash their hands. Well, we get to keep those things going as part of our home liturgy, our home worship. And so once you develop those kind of predictable patterns of just like me and my simple everyday life, then maybe you can dare to be like, oh, I wonder if there's a day a week or a day a month where we can make dinner with some friends. And maybe we can invite some other friends who don't know Jesus. And again, it doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every week even. It can be monthly. It can be experiments that you do. Um, 
getting to know the neighbors, whatever it is. But I find like if your house is in, in, in relative order because you are at peace and worshiping daily in your home, then you might be ready to open that up uh, to others. Again, it doesn't mean the house has to be clean. You can have laundry in the pile. It actually puts people at ease when you have something messy in your house because they're like, oh, you're, I thought Christians had it all together. Well, no, we don't. Uh, so welcome to my mess. Uh, but those predictable patterns then help us open our homes uh, and lives to others. And, and then the sky's the limit. Yeah. Cool. I'd love to, uh, we have a few minutes left to give some people in the congregation a chance to ask questions while they're thinking about their question. Um, if someone wanted to get a hold of your book and give it a read, how yeah. could they do that? So I have some with me uh, here. Bringing Church Home is the book. I have some with me. I have the little square reader that we can uh, uh, use uh, to purchase the book. All the proceeds go to Fresh Expressions um, in the United States. And, and we got, we're, we're developing trainings around the book that I'll be doing online in the fall. Um, but So you can find the book here. And then if you like it, you can find it on uh, Amazon. Um, where Dick was very kind to write a very kind review of the book. Um, but you can find it for like a couple of bucks cheaper on freshexpressions.com <laughs> um, or Seedbed, our publisher. You can also find it a couple bucks cheaper than Amazon. So uh, Seedbed is the publisher. Freshexpressions.com is a place you can get the book or you can just you know do your one click because you're all Prime members probably anyway and, and it's easier. But yeah. All right. Uh, if someone has a question, I will bring the mic around so the people on Zoom, as well as all of us, can, can hopefully hear it well. Actually, mine's not a question. It's an affirmation. Hmm. Our son lives in Kansas City, and they were part of a large church that the building got, the rent was doubled. So they began meeting in homes like you're talking about because okay. they couldn't afford that. The last time we were there, we visited with their home group. And as people were sharing, both my son and my husband, and when they were sharing what they were sharing, had tears in their eyes because they were able to find places in them that were deep enough that would bring that out of them, and they felt safe enough to share that with the people with them. We don't get that in this environment. We have wonderful things here, but this is a wonderful thing you're talking about, so I just wanted to share that. Yeah, thank you. And we can do both. We can do this and we can do that. But it's, that's what we experience. Is there's a, not everybody's into the intimate thing, but there are things people are dying to share, but they don't feel comfortable in a large uh, setting. Uh, there are also people who do not feel comfortable in a small setting sharing, but they're more comfortable in this setting. Yeah, so it's, it's the both and reality uh, that we've got to be about. Um, Gannon, this is not a quiz, okay? <laughs> um, I'm a comment and then a question. Sure. I'm a huge fan of Bonhoeffer. Yeah. And um, so how much did Bonhoeffer's life together mm -hmm. and his Finkenwald mm -hmm. idea, how much did yeah. that influence you? Yeah, I quote Bonhoeffer in the book. Um, and my early 20s were spent in a, I lived in an intentional community house for a, for a little while and most of my friends thought it was crazy and I had a friend give me a copy of A Life Together uh, by Bonhoeffer and um, so, you know, Bonhoeffer had to do underground seminary um, because, you know, Hitler's uh, Reich was, was, was raising up. I, I found out, interestingly enough, this community, the Bruderhof, 
uh, were actually kicked out of Germany um, and had to go to England. And because they were a mixed group of Brits and Germans, then they had to find safe harbor. Paraguay accepted them. And so they based their... Anyway, so so many things happening in the world at Bonhoeffer's time. And so he had to go underground. And so he had to do... It was life uh, together. It was seminary on a hike. It was, um, you know, daily rhythms uh, of life together. So Bonhoeffer, deeply influential. And then along this... In the, in the same time, uh, a, a Catholic, young Catholic priest, Carol Wativa became Pope John Paul. He's a Polish person. He's attending an underground seminary in Poland and developing a very same philosophy for how to gather. So then during communism in Poland, Pope John Paul couldn't plant churches. They did not suppress the church in Poland to the point that it, it, it fizzed, um, like, you know, in Russia, the Russian Orthodox Church is basically controlled by the government. It wasn't as bad in Poland but because John Paul II had to minister creatively, he had to do house-to-house ministry, he had to take young people on walks, he had to wear plain clothes, uh, but he would celebrate Mass outside on a hike with using a canoe as a communion table, uh, which in, you know, in some Catholic diocese would be just like you know, anathema, but, but it, was, it was fine. It was just what they had to do to contextualize the, the ministry. And so what you see now in, in you know, how Bonhoeffer's influenced the church, um, but then how John Paul II's influenced the church. You hear more stories in Poland right now of families receiving Ukrainian refugees than you hear of uh, refugee camps. There are camps, but as much as possible, and this is true with Catholics and the Baptist Union that's, that's working there too, homes are receiving the refugees because they know that the family is the greatest gift and the family is the solution to problems in society, which is mind-blowing because it's so, it's so simple it's overlooked. So, yeah, uh, all that to say Bonhoeffer, deeply influential. Yeah. All right, we might have time for one more question if someone has one. Oh, very All right. Kind. Okay, they're quiet. Well, they're, they're thinking, they're ruminating. But the book will be here, and I'm happy to speak with you and, and, uh, after. And, and I just thank you, Dick, for uh, your hospitality. Uh, Carrie, my wife, and, and Dick, speaking of people who haven't met in person, I mean, we've, they've been on a Zoom call together uh, and have just met in person for the first time. But the relationship's been established on Zoom, and now we can even be better friends because uh, mm-hmm. we've met in person now. And um, so it's a, it's a great joy to be with you. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a great, um, you know, as we think about Acts 2 and we think about Acts 2, of course, is not the only vision of church that we have in the New Testament, but it's, it's, a, it's a compelling one. And as we think about the different ways that can look, um, it's great to have another example and another context of, of what that can look like and for us to think about what some things we might take away that will be contextual for us here. Jillian? Sure. Yeah, we'll have a further discussion after. Uh, but we get to have the coffee so that'll uh, wake us up. All right, we'll turn things back over to our musicians.